Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Hello there. Welcome to Facebook Live. I guess the audio production or the video production of uh, Oikos Ministries. We're glad to have you back again with us each week. And uh, tonight we're going to, we, we, just last week we finished up on the topic on the Sermon on the Mount. We did a, quite a series on that. This was very rewarding, a blessing, and uh, had a lot of uh, good things there that we dealt with. So now this week we're going to, I just had a one night message. Uh, it's based on a message that uh, I, I gave to our corporate meeting uh, at the end of last year. Uh, and, and so the, to close out 2022 and to begin 2023. And uh, it's uh, a message from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I want to tell you uh, before we start the message tonight that uh, if you would like to hear any of our messages, including the one we'll do tonight, uh, you can visit our website at www.housechurchesusa.com and we have all of our uh, videos and messages, audios, all kind of platforms you can listen to and, and receive teachings. There's also all sorts of uh, teaching and, and ministry helps that would allow you to even help you start a, a, a church in your own home. So uh, anyway, I pray that that website could be a blessing to you. Use it. It's a great tool. So tonight, without further ado, let's get into 1 Corinthians 15. We're dealing with a topic called the second Adam. Now, I want to read a little bit of context into it and, and start before we jump right into it. The entire chapter of Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, is about the resurrection from the dead. As a matter of fact, the introduction into, to it, the Apostle Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you and wherein you stand, uh, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And He gives the gospel in a nutshell and then makes a, a, a real strong plea concerning those who saw Christ risen from the dead after, you know, or, or saw Christ on earth after he had risen from the dead. Now I go into an extensive teaching in this in my book, The Doctrines of Christ. I'm not going to belabor that tonight. I don't want to just focus on resurrection, uh, but we will, uh, without a doubt, d- discuss some of the resurrection because we're teaching from a whole chapter whose context is the resurrection from the dead. And, you know, in the Christian thinking, most of the time, the resurrection from the dead is relegated to thinking about Easter, which is, you know, pretty much a paganized holiday. And uh, But the point being is that resurrection from the dead, another thing that causes resurrection to be go unnoticed in Christian circles is, is rapture theology, which uh, I believe... Uh, uh, you know, I understand the whole rapture uh, ideology and thought. And, you know, most Christians believe that r- when things get started getting bad, poof, we're out of here. And that's uh, Americanized, really bad theology and bad teaching because, uh, you know, Americans just don't believe Christ called us to suffer. But he did. And so we're, we're dealing with the idea, though, tonight on the resurrection. So picking it up in the context I want to read a little bit so it'll, it'll place it in there. And in, in verse 35 of chapter 15, he says, But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? Paul's asking a question. And so somebody said, well, how would that happen? How would the dead raise? And with what body do they come? You fool, that which you sow is not quickened except it die." It's not made alive unless it dies. And he's talking about the germination process. Uh, Jesus even explains this process in, in, in John chapter 12. Unless a corn or a seed of grain falls into the earth and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. It's a, a principle from Genesis that seed time and harvest, that every, the seed is in itself. The fruit bearing seed is in itself and it bears fruit after its kind. So the idea, you can take it and cook the whole 
uh, ear of corn and eat your, your corn, or you can shuck it and keep some seed and plant the seed and grow more corn. And so the seed is in itself and it produces grain. But in order to do that, it must die or it abides alone. And so the, he's using this agricultural analogy to, to, to build his case in this issue. And, and really, John 12 is a wonderful place where, where he, he absolutely emphasizes that and teaches the germination process in what he was about to do in going to the cross, dying, bearing, and resurrecting. And so he says, uh, verse 36, one more time, you fool, that which you sow is not quickened except it die. And that which you sow, you sow not the body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as that is, as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. And so, again, he finishes the analogy with this idea. You plant a seed, and it dies in the ground, and then it resurrects. It comes back to life, but it looks nothing like what you planted. It does not come back in that same form, but it bears fruit after its kind. And this is a wonderful thought. It goes through a metamorphosis, if you would, a, a change, if you would, and, and so the, what you've sown, the body of, of seed that you sowed will, will look differently once it's resurrected. So uh, he goes on with this thought. He said in verse 39, all flesh is not the same. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another fish, another of birds. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, so heavenly and earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another in glory. So also is the resurrection from the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Here we get into what we want to talk about. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. That's the natural body. <clears throat> and the last Adam, Christ, is made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural and after that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brothers, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, or our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so understanding the power of the resurrection. And that's where we're going with this tonight. The power of the resurrection, that not a futuristic idea. That's what Jesus had to correct Martha on before he raised Lazarus from the dead. She said, Lord, I know my brother shall rise in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. It's not about an event. It's not about the last day even. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me shall not shall, shall never die. And then he pointedly says, do you believe this? And so this, this faith in that those who believe that Jesus died for our sins and took away our sin, 
was buried, and that on the third day he rose again and has lived and, and will live forever in, in his glorified form. And now he is also calling sons and daughters to himself to walk presently in the same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we're talking, so let's get back to our text, the one I want to really focus in on. Verse, uh, uh, let's, let's start in verse 44. It is sown a natural body. <clears throat> it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last was a quickening spirit. Now, I want to talk to you about the two Adams here, without a doubt. The, the Adam of Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we could turn there. I want to, we'll go there. If you, if you have your Bible, you might want to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be talking about the first, uh, the first Adam. And we'll, we'll notice that the first Adam uh, in chapter 2, it goes into detail, starting in verse, uh, I think, 7. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, I have worked on every one of these words in the Hebrew and the Greek, and I'm no scholar in either one of those, but I've studied them for many, many years and, and look at them, but I'm not I am not a Greek expert. I'm not a Hebrew expert, but these words are pretty much what they are rendered in the English here. They pretty much say what they say. And so when we look at the idea that God and the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and literally he pressed this dirt, this dust into a form and he breathed the breath of God into this lifeless clay and it became a lifing or a living soul. Now, when we understand the soul or, or, or that man created in the image of God, we look at a triune nature, uh, just as God is a triune God. And many want to take exception to that. But I believe without doubt, God is a triune God uh, in, in nature. I mean, it's easily misunderstood in man, physical uh, soul of uh, 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 the body, the soul and the spirit. This is the threefold parts of man. And when we get into the soul. There's also a threefold realm, the mind, the emotion and the will. And so we look at the soul. Man became a living soul. Now, here's the here's the real idea behind it. Now, God breathed into an earthly substance. He took that which was already created. So man is a uh, really a byproduct of earthly substance. He took the earthly substance. Our old Bible teacher, Brother Clark, he said, if we were to melt you down physically and, and sell you for all your, 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 your chemical and, 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 and all your component, mineral component, he said, you'd be worth just two or three dollars. I mean, you're worth almost nothing. And so when you look at the physical aspect of man taken from dust and the value is that God breathed and he became a living soul. This is a, a powerful thing that the breath of God into one um, formation of clay. Whew, and then it became a thing of nature and natural at that point in the reproduction. And he took. Uh, you know, man is a byproduct of created substance. God created the heavens and the earth. And so man is a, a byproduct of that. And then woman was taken from the man's rib. She's a byproduct of, of man. Again, uh, we have all these byproduct situations. But the, the, the man has the life or the breath of God breathed into and he became a rational soul, a living soul. And the the beauty of that, there was no mention of death in those early days until God mentioned it. And he told Adam, he put him in a garden called Eden, which literally means a garden of pleasure, a, 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 pleasurous, a, a pleasurable place. And he placed him in this garden and he said, you can eat anything here. Adam, this is your place. And he gave him a job to tend and to keep it. And, and really to keep it in its range. He told him to give names to all the animals. And he finally gave man a helper called woman. And he said, y'all can eat every tree of this garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat, you will surely die. Now there's the first mention of death. And we know the story that Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation, ate of the tree of knowledge in the garden of pleasure. And literally 
the God's word, we know for a fact God does not lie when he said in the day that you eat this, you will die. I believe the death that took place in Adam is spiritual. It took place instantly and put Adam on a timepiece. He put it, it brought time into the equation at this point. And now Adam was on a ticking clock. In the day that you eat, you shall surely die. The spirit died instantly. The soul remained rational. It remained. Uh, he still had the intelligence to think. I mean, think about it. He named all the animals. And I mean, that's that took brilliance and intelligence. And I mean, literally, Adam looked at woman and said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave it. Let's just say this. Adam made Einstein look like a moron. Adam was a genius. He walked and talked with God. But when he sinned, the the revelation of the frailty of this human composite, this thing that God created, the, the, the major failure is the human will. He just had to do what he wanted to do. And he sinned. And in the day that he ate, his spirit died, but the soul remained going. The, the breath of God was in this form and it became, and it, it kept living. But what it created was a time, a t- uh, an expiration date on the house of the soul. And so finally the flesh succumbed and Adam died. And so I want you to see this and know this going, the first man, Adam, earthy, made from the earth and enjoying the pleasure of the earth, but still uh, the, the very nature of this trifold being is that we just seem to want to be God. We want to think we know better than God. We want to do the things that only God. Look, when God forbids man to do something, he's not trying to imprison us. He's protecting us. I'm telling you, the, 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 for anything that God says, don't do that. You better know something. It's for your well-being. And there's forbidden knowledge. There's forbidden relationships. We can go into the things that are forbidden. And yet we seem to think we know better than God and tell us how that's working out for us. So this lifeless form, a substance, an earthy substance, it literally means red. Uh, Adam's name literally means red. So he's taken from red dirt. He was the original redneck. And so we look at the idea of uh, Adam and men have always been redneck. So I mean, I don't care how sophisticated you are. If you're a millionaire right now, you're, you're redneck. I'm just telling you, it's part of it. And so when when we look at the idea that he he sinned, his life was on a ticking clock, the spirit died immediately. This is so important that we understand the spiritual death inside and the eventual death of the physical and the eternal judgment of the soul. Again, try you nature. And so we look at this earthy. The first man is of the earth, earthy. And we all are born into this realm. Nature now has a reproductive system and we bear fruit after our kind. So Adam, Eve, they come together. He knew his wife. She bore a son. She looked up in that image with that breath, with life. And they all sin. They all just do. And so all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and all face this spiritual death. We bear the image of the earthy and there's an earthy affinity. We want the things of earth. All right. Are we following along with that? Okay. so he became a living soul. Now, let's talk about the second Adam for a second. If we could turn to Luke chapter one, let's turn there. I like Luke's rendition of the gospel here, Luke chapter one, or in the nativity idea. The angel appeared to Mary and uh, we'll just start in uh, verse 30. The angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus which means Savior. If you go to Matthew 1, I think 21, uh, and, and, and there it said Savior, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, and it, it means he will save his people from their sins. I want you to notice that. Save The salvation that Jesus afford starts with salvation from sin, not with hell, salvation from sin, a present salvation from sin. 
And, and we have to see that the salvation from sin is crucial to the new birth. If we don't understand, if we start with the starting point to think we're saved from hell in the future, it almost has no bearing. Actually, it has a, a, a negative effect on how we view the present. Well, if I'm saved in the future from sin, I'm okay. I can do what I want now. Well, that's not the fear of God. He told Mary, he said, fear not. You shall conceive in your womb and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give glory unto him, uh, shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know no man? And the angel answered and said unto her, here's what I want you to see. He said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And the power of the highest, the dunamis, the, the, the dynamite, the literally the divine power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. This is a wonderful picture that begins with the incarnation of Christ himself, the divine incarnation. And when we look at the idea that bypass the fallen seed of man, and just impregnated the virgin womb of Mary with the divine seed of God. It's a wonderful thought here. The power of the highest shall come upon thee and shall overshadow thee. And now we know for a fact that fire has no light. Now God is fire. God is light. Uh, excuse me. Uh, 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 light has no shadow and fire has no shadow. And so we look at God is light. God is fire. Yet he has a shadow. There's something in this divine that literally in the earthy substance, it casts no, it casts no shadow there. there it, it, the, the earthly things that are created when it hits the creator leaves no shadow. But when the divine hits the creator, there is still a shadow. There's when divine substance touches the divine, we it casts a shadow. This is a tremendous thing. And in the realm of the divine, the overshadowing and the shade, the shade of God, he who dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. And in that secret place of the most high, which we're fixing to go into is the new birth. Well, certainly what we're reading here is totally pertaining to Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, and how he became the Son of God on earth. Son of man, Son of God became Son of man here on earth uh, in the in the literally the the, uh, the 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 kenosis of Christ. Literally, he the the stepping down from glory and coming into the human form and becoming the Creator became what he was. He created. He humbled himself and became as us. Now. When John did, now, when, when we look at the idea of first Adam, he was made, created from heavenly substance. I mean, earthly substance. He was made from sub, he's a, a really a, a byproduct of earthly substance. The second Adam, when we hear it, we, it, it, when he says the first Adam was made a spiritual being, a genomai, it was literally a Genesis. He was made there. And so we would go back to Genesis. We read that story. Now, in the Gospel of John, something really cool takes place. When John began to tell his gospel, he said, in the beginning was the word. He begins to teach a new Genesis. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything that made that was made. In him was life. And that life is the light of men. And I believe what we see here is a picture of the new or the recreation of the of the kingdom of God, the kingdom come, the recreation of man to live within the kingdom of God. And so when we look at this picture, John portrays it. He said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten uh, uh, son of God. And so we look at this idea of, of John's recap of creation or his revision of, of creation that now in the New Testament, in the gospel, we have not recreation, but a recreation where God is recreated. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2 tells us that uh, by, by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So there's a recreation in Christ Jesus of man. 
Now, I want you to see that. I, I really want you to grasp it because we're building to a, a what I believe is a very powerful point. And so when we look at the idea that now we have, we understand first Adam from the beginning of creation. Second Adam has his beginning in the recreation, bypassing the fallen seed of man. The divine seed impregnates a virgin and the holy thing that is born of her is called the son of God. Now, as we see the second Adam begin to live, Jesus lived detached from this world. He lived a separated life. Now, he engaged the world. He went to the world with his message and he literally embraced it and said, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. Change for the kingdom of God's at hand. And, and literally, it was a, a, he was inferring a supernatural change, not just turn over a new leaf, not just start some religious practices or you got to get better, let's have revival in the church, none of that. He said, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. And so the invitation to change and to, to begin a, a metamorphosis, if you would, through metanoio, a metamorphosis like, like we see a, a caterpillar uh, to a butterfly, but a metanoio, that's repentance, where the mind goes through a transformation through the word of God. Now, remember, God breathed into the first Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and now he has bypassed all that and started a new life through the Son of God. And literally, he bypassed everything, everything that was made. He is now recreating a second Adam, if you would. And the first Adam was a living soul. The second Adam is a quickening spirit, which was not done until the completion of the full gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He took on the human form. He took on the form of first Adam. He took on the form of that image. And literally, uh, he made, he was made in that image. And then for, for one reason, for the suffering of death. He came here. Look, the one thing Jesus came here was for, he didn't come here to just heal the sick and raise the dead and do all kind of neat miracles and cast out. Dead. He came here for one thing. Inside of his veins was sealed up the atoning blood, the only elixir, the only antidote that could cure sin. And in the veins of Christ Jesus was the blood of Christ and that innocent blood bypassing all the fallen sin of Adam that caused his spiritual death had bypassed. And now the living Christ is filled with the living blood. The, you see, the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. And so the life of our physical bodies is in our bloodstream. Right. But it seems to house the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it upon an altar to make atonement for the soul. And it seems the soul is housed in the bloodstream of man. And it seems that the, the whole identity, really what God breathed into us is literally that life, that living soul. And it, as the as the heart began to pump, it carried that life breathe, that God breath throughout the entire circulatory system. And it, the health of the of the life of the flesh is in the bloodstream. Now, Christ had the perfect, sinless, non-falling blood on the planet. And it would be given upon the altar to make atonement. Unless a corn of wheat or seed of grain falls to the earth and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so Christ in his first Adamic form died on the cross, a sinner's death. He died the epitome of sinful man for the, and, and, and literally took upon him the sin of the whole world. And his blood became the cleansing agent for all sin. The Lamb of God who takes away the Lamb of, uh, the, the sin of the world. And so through his death, the blood was shed. The atoning blood was shed. And it's been sitting there for 2,000 years speaking better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Christ. Abel cried for vengeance. How long? Jesus is crying for mercy. Come to me. And he's got this blood on mercy seat, if you would. Now it's the cross of Christ. And he says, come to me and be saved. Come to me and have your sins washed away. Come to me and live. Live again. You were dead in your trespasses. And now I want to quicken you. Oh, the, the Bible's filled with this terminology. The quickening 
You who were dead. Jesus told the Pharisees, you were de- you're dead in your trespass. You're dead in your sins. And, and literally, he said, you're dead men walking. In Ephesians, it said, you who were dead in your trespass, you have he quickened, made alive. We'll get back to that a little later. But you see, the quickening of God, the first Adam was made a living soul. And the second Adam, a quickening spirit. And so the first Adam certainly sinned. He failed. His spirit died in the day that he sinned. His soul continued on on a ticking clock until his physical body expired. Now, fast forward to the new covenant. Christ comes, bypasses the fallen blood of Adam. And now with the perfect sinless blood of the son of God, he dies in place of all Adam, all the first Adam, all of us who are dead in trespass and sin. All who have sinned and come short of the glory, he died in our place. And so second Adam has done this. And now he has become the vicar. He has become the intercessor that Lord, I believe that his blood and only his blood can take away and pardon my sin. And when we go through faith and pull on that blood and appropriate that to ourselves, this divine work begins to happen. Similar to what we see in Luke chapter one, the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon us and overshadows us. We get into a divine moment and it overshadows our filthy, earthly, Adamic, fallen life. And the spiritual, we all of a sudden we're encountering divine life and love in the middle of our sin. And we go through this, 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 this process of germination where when we see the cross, it kills us there. We die with Christ. We bury with Christ. And we come up a new creature in Christ. Quickened! quickened by the Spirit of God. And now God is breathing into second Adam the quickening power. And I certainly understand second Adam is an absolute reference to Christ. But you and I, as sons and daughters of God, are being called into this same quickening. And He's calling us out of the earthly into the image of the heavenly. It's called, you must be born again. Let me tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at what we read earlier. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It can't be done. And so God begins a quickening in us. And certainly the apostle Paul understood. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And so here we have this, uh, this dichotomy, this, this exercise in opposites going on inside of us. I'm a spiritual man longing for my heavenly, eternal existence. It's already begun inside me, but now I'm subjected to the vanity of dying flesh. Everybody staying with that? Second Adam gets quickened by the Spirit. Now we know the New Testament teaches us about you must be born again. And the wind blows where it lists and we do not know where it comes from or where it goes. As a matter of fact, you don't even know wind is blowing unless it touches something. It, 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 it doesn't, you know, from what I understand, way up in the, in the places where only Hubble can see right now, uh, they, they claim that there's these billion mile an hour winds blowing up there and they, it's literally where stars are, are, are created and these tunnels spit stars out. It's really weird, powerful thing. But when we think of the idea that the wind bloweth where it listeth and we do not know where it comes from or where it goes, the same it is with the new birth. There, there becomes this peculiarity in the new creature. If any man in Christ, he's a new creature. The former things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All of a sudden, we begin to step into the realm of the heavenly man. We begin to inwardly, we're bearing the image of the heavenly. And all of a sudden, heaven captures our thoughts and our attentions. Now, folks, it doesn't just start there. I want to show you the process. But to me, the power of this message comes in the nuts and bolts of it. And why I believe so many today who claim to be Christian live like first Adam. And are stuck in the soulish realm. If you look carefully at our churches in these days, most people, well, they want their emotions moved. We want the soul stroked. 
We want intellectual messages that are, are funnies or we want things that make us feel that we, that affect our feels. You understand that, that it's a proven fact that the greatest euphoric experience to the human existence is to know something new. And they even put that in the realm of sexual reproduction to know someone. And so this carnal knowledge, if you would, the ultimate in pleasure. Now, it's not necessarily just sexual sin, but it's literally all carnal knowledge. And so we spend our time in carnal knowledge. And there are uh, academic junkies and there are news junkies. There are even Bible junkies. Folks, just teach me something new. Tantalize me like the Epicureans believers. They spent all their time only to hear a new thing. So we watch the news because it's new, but it's not new. They've been lying since the devil came and they're still lying. And so the news is a distractor and we live in this garden like Eden somewhat. But here's all the pleasures of Eden on the earth that just say, hey, flesh, physical needs. Hey, flesh soulish needs come because the spirit is dead because of sin attach and affix yourself to something that gives you life and so we try to live it up through uh whatever party recreation uh, uh, drugs alcohol uh, uh sinful pleasures sexuality name your poison we try to uh, wealth and prosperity and fame politic power whatever your hot button may be that's where my life is found folks let me say this this is the adamic nature it's first adam it's attracted to the earth and just just let me just real quickly just say this you know out of fallen adam cain the repelled son who killed his brother Abel. Uh, he had a son named Lamech and Lamech had sons. One, uh, uh, his three sons, Lamech. Lamech said, if Cain is avenged seven times, I will be avenged 70 times. If, so literally he was a mass murderer. Now here's, here's the rub. Out of Lamech came three sons, who one was an artificer in brass. Literally, he created all the industry of, of the world. Literally, all of heavy industry came right out of him. Number two, livestock, agriculture. All to do with agriculture came out of another son. And number three, the other one was uh, in the arts and the realm of arts and entertainment. Every realm of finance came out of the loins of a mass murderer. I wonder why <laughs> we're in the fix. But it's the appeal. This is where we go get our money. This is where we go get our stuff. This is how we find our pleasure. The more money we can get out of these industries, the more we can have and, and indulge pleasure and make our flesh feel good and make our souls feel good. It's pretty amazing. First Adam is a fallen creature doomed. Okay. Second Adam, a living. He's a quickening spirit and his affinity and affections are not to the earth, but it's toward heaven. The apostle Paul said, set your, if you then be risen with Christ, set your affection on the things above and not on the things of the earth where Christ seats at the right hand of God. Mortify then your members which are upon the earth and literally kill the, the earthly members so the spiritual, don't let anything get in the way. I've heard the old saying for years, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I don't believe that can exist. I do not believe that situation can exist. Don't tell me you need a compromised individual who literally compromises with the world so you can receive heaven's message. I don't even buy it, not even for a second. I don't I don't buy into that at all. I think, as a matter of fact, we need some more heavenly minded people right now, not soulishly minded. But if you think of the American church right now and you begin to consider where we are right now as a religious community uh, singing, we must rub the emotion at all cost. We will spare no expense in this production. We will go to the barroom and find the best musicians we can. We do whatever it takes. We will put on a show every Sunday 
that will make you, oh, the anointing was so good. Then we want a preacher who is going to have the charisma that when he speaks to us, that literally he will make us feel good. He moves us when he speaks. Oh, he tells us things of our prosperity, of our health, of our healing. And he talks only of how I will do good right now and that God wants to do me good. Oh, I need to hear another message and it will be it will be chicken soup for my soul. That's a real thing. Oh, my soul feels so much better. Well, isn't it all about the soul? I don't think so. If you're in the first Adam, yeah, it's all about your soul. And we want some soulish movement. And so we leave church and we go, oh, I feel so good. That was so good. Oh, the music. Oh, the priest. It was all so good. The altar call. Oh, it was so wonderful. And all of it was very carefully choreographed and and everybody's soul was happy. I mean, happy. But the second Adam is a quickening spirit. The second Adam is really in a dilemma. He finds himself in a place of a rock and a hard place. I want to depart and go be with Christ but I need to be here and finish the work. We find ourselves in a place that this is not my home. I don't live here. I'm passing through. I'm a pilgrim. This is not where I'm from. And we find ourselves in a place that the more we stay on the straight and narrow path of the second Adam, that the less we want to do with the world. And the more we have discovery and we understand the pitfalls of pleasure and the, and the distractions of, 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 of carnal knowledge and, and, and we, we, we find all these distractions and wait a minute, these only seems to, uh, send me on detours that are needless. I want the first, other second, I want the quickening spirit. And our walk in the kingdom of God, when we pray Holy Spirit, we say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We're literally saying, we plead with you, send your kingdom into, send the Holy Spirit into our, the Spirit of God is the kingdom come. And when the Spirit of God fills the heart of man, we begin to live as a second Adam, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has quickened our mortal bodies. Now, are we perfected in the sense of resurrection as it will be? No. But now inside of these these decaying vessels is an eternal spirit that's living. And it doesn't matter how bad your physical feels or or how old you are. What does the body does not dictate terms to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is, is alive and kicking and the eternal spirit of God has said, let's go, man. Get up. Let's move. Come on. It's the kingdom come. The king is on the throne, but I'm old. Not much about your age. Get up and move, man. <laughs> I propose that most people are so earthly minded, they're absolutely no heavenly good. I think that's the truer statement. I want you to uh, look at a few facts now concerning the nuts and bolts of the. Let's go back to First Corinthians just uh, again. We'll just catch back up on the scripture. We don't want to stray too far away. Verse forty-four: It is sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body, and so basically, when we come to the cross, we die with Christ. Our, our natural life dies with Christ and it's raised in the realm, in the spiritual realm. We're raised in, in a fourth dimension. We're not, we're not yielding to time, space and matter, although we are subjected to it physically. But in the spiritual realm, we've entered a new dimension called the fourth dimension, eternity. It's a bizarre existence that now because of the eternal word of God, the eternal blood of Christ and the eternal spirit dwelling within us. We have a heart set for eternity. 
Time, space, and matter have way less bearing and effect on us. Oh, we're still subject to this vanity. But let me tell you what, the hope that comes from resurrection life and power just looks at it and say, well, you've got a bad report physically. So I've got a great report that by his stripes I'm healed. I've got even better report that if I die, I'm going to raise again and I'm going to live with Christ forever. Come on, I got the life of God in me. Glory be to God. I've been born again. I have been born. I have been begotten again. That's what first Peter tells us. If we'll turn there, let's start there. First Peter chapter two, uh, chapter one. Verse 21, who by him, by Jesus, do believe in God, who by him, we who believe by in Jesus, we believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope may be in God. Seeing you purified your souls in obeying the truth. Hear that word. Say, say truth with me in obeying the truth. That's God's word. Through the spirit, say spirit, capital S, spirit, the truth and the spirit unto unfake love of the brethren. See that you love one another fervently uh, with a pure heart, fervently being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. What? The word of God is literally the seed or the sperma of God. It literally is what impre impregnates us with the divine. Now, if you're reading this word of God in carnal knowledge, it is no good better for you than a Time magazine. But when you read the spirit through the spirit, when the quickening of the spirit and you read this book, all of a sudden you're going to discover something in here. Turn to second Peter. In chapter one, verse three, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him, Jesus, that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Look at that carefully. He's given us through the divine power. He's given us all things that pertain to life. We are now become partakers of the divine nature. This is the new birth. This is being born again. This is all of a sudden the life of God enters the spirit of the soul of man. And now we're a quickening spirit. We're not yielded to just a living soul, but now a living, a quickening, resurrected, life-giving, life-receiving, life-giving spirit. A spiritual man, not a soulish man, not a man given to the soul, but to the things of the spirit. It, it, when Jesus encountered the woman at the well in Samaria, uh, a peculiar day. And as he entered the, the woman, he said, woman, give me to drink. She said, oh, you are Jew going to ask me a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? He said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. <gasps> And the conversation goes on from there. And he goes on to tell, he prophesied, lady, you've been living. He said, you've been married five times. Now you're shacked up right now. She said, oh, you're a prophet. I perceive you're a prophet. And she said, now then she got religious. He said, oh, you know what? Uh, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Uh, but you say Jerusalem is the place. He said, so where do you go to church, Jesus? That's pretty much what you say. We go to church here in Samaria. Where do you go to church, Jesus? I mean, isn't that just like every fallen Adamic person? You try to witness it to them about the spiritual and all they can think about is where you what what building do you occupy on Sunday? Where do you who strokes your soul? Where do you have your soul uh, uh, fed? 
Jesus said, lady, believe me right now, because you don't know. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know. You don't even know who you worship. And I think if, if we weren't so proud, that could be the standard answer we give to anybody. So where you go to church, I say, you don't even know what you're talking about. But not proud. What? Who do you think you are? Tell me I don't know. I know a lot of things. My grandpa was a preacher. Oh, Lord, help me. Well, good for you. He didn't do too good with you. But the point is that we, we literally the, an ignorance. Paul went into one place. He said to the unknown God, they were worshiping an unknown God. I think of the Arapagus. He said an inscription to the unknown God. We're going to worship that in case we're missing one of y'all out there. Oh, I believe in God. Some more than others. That's where we are as a society. But would you say that you don't have any knowledge of the living God? You don't know the word of God. You don't even know what we're talking about here. They get all indignant. Like opinion trumps scripture. And so at the woman with the woman, the way he said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and now is when you will worship when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship. You see, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Wait a minute. Spirit and truth. Now, doesn't that mean just we're going to have a lively band that, and it's going to get so lively, we'll have a mosh pit up front. We'll turn the lights off and we'll have strobe lights and we'll do the robot if you're so inclined. Whatever it might be, we will stroke your soul. And if that don't do it, we'll twang country. Whatever it takes, rock and roll, mosh pit, whatever it takes, we just want your soul to feel good. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. By the way, it's Holy Spirit, not demonic spirit. And just because you raise the demons up that control you does not mean that you're worshiping God. And just like with Cain, God has the option to reject your worship. And I'm pretty much of the persuasion that said God has left the building. It's not acceptable. It's all soulish. And if something doesn't change, we can talk about revival all we want to. The, the, the present wineskin cannot hold a revival. Can't do it. So when we get down to the nitty gritty, let's get to the nuts and bolts. Turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy 3. Let's go there. I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm going to go over, by the way. So if you have to go to bed early, go on. You can catch it back up later. I want you to read this. This is really good. Verse 15, first Timothy, uh, second Timothy three fifteen, And that from a child, you have known the Holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now I like this passage. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, th check this out. It says all scripture is given by inspiration. There's a peculiar word here, this inspiration. It literally means God breathed. It literally means. Now, how did God make the first Adam? He breathed into his nostrils, into the physical aspect of this formed clay, the breath of life. Now, in the new birth, hear me carefully. Those who come to the call repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. And we begin to be attracted to the thought. I want to leave this wicked place and be with the God who made me. I am sick of my sin. I'm literally sin sick and I am dead in my trespass and sin. I want you, Jesus. You're the only hope I have. We turn to Christ and we believe his word, the divine word, the word, the God breathe. All scripture is the breath of life. It goes into the spirit, into the heart of man, and it begins a new heartbeat, a new heart, a new spirit will I give you. And in the veins of man becomes this spiritual quickening. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead raises you from the dead of sin and trespass. And now a new focused person that lives not for this world, but for the world to come. We believe in the hope of the resurrection from the dead. Now, listen to this carefully. It says that all 
scripture is given by inspiration. When the breath of God now hits you and you become the second Adam, a living, a quickening spirit. Look carefully. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter four, I think verse 12, he says that the word of God is living, quick, quicken and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so we have this powerful word of God, the word of God, the quickening word of God enters us and the seed of God gets in us. It germinates in there and then it raises up. And oh, it's a it's a continuum, if you would, that's something we are being born again as the word of God comes in and it meets the faith of man. And all of a sudden, spirit and truth come together. And and like John on the Isle of Patmos, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I'm so detached. John had been boiled in oil. Some say he was blind at the point of the writing of Revelation. Boiled in oil and he lived. Huh? He said, I'm in the spirit on the Lord's day. He must have, I mean, must I, I, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. I'm going to just back off. I was fixing to really get nasty. He didn't need a band. He didn't need a worship team. He didn't need a good preacher. He didn't need uh, uh, TBN. He didn't need Kayla. He didn't need any of that. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And all of a sudden Christ comes to him. Wow. Certainly his soul wasn't being stroked. The apostle Paul was beaten. He and Silas in stocks and chains whipped. And at midnight they sang psalms. Wait a minute. How could they get an anointing without the music? Without the preacher? How could it even happen? It can't be so. Where were the strobe lights? Where was the fog machine? Certainly an angel in skinny jeans came and did all this. They were in the spirit. You see, there's a detachment from this world when we become affiliated with the second Adam. It's a spiritual man. All of a sudden, prayer means more than learning. All of a sudden, divine breath means more than your knowledge. All of a sudden, the intimacy in your relationship with Christ, the communion with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit becomes more than religious leaders and all the, the wonderful things. You see, all the things you can smartly say from the pulpit, cleverly designed to make souls happy. See, the only thing that appeals to the quickening spirit is when it touches the quickening spirit. The only thing appealing to the second Adam is the second Adam. The yearning and the longing is not for here. It's for there. Oh, I hope you can see it. We're so worldly minded at this point that I wonder we're, we're given so much to the soul. It's all that we focus on. It, it seems to me we've buried ourselves in first Adam and we've cleverly devised doctrines that at first Adam is saved and it's not. I want to tell you the quickening spirit, the new birth, the kingdom come is what we need. And folks, if you're going to let me tell you something, when the kingdom comes inside of you, it begins to literally reflect into your outward life. I mean, this is the quickening of God. All of a sudden, the feeble mind, now let the weak say, I am strong. All of a sudden, the addicted soul said, I am set at liberty. All of a sudden, the one who was blind said, now I see. All of a sudden, the captive is free. Those who are in bruised are set at liberty. Do you hear me? <laughs> Look, folks, go back to 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to close out on this, on this note. Oh, I love this passage. I show you a mystery. First Corinthians 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Come on. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised up. 
You understand this is a resurrection. You're called, quit. Look, just do yourself a favor and stop saying rapture. Just say resurrection. Well, we're going to be raptured. I, I promise you this. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Not you who are claiming rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. All of a sudden, these who have been planted in corruption will put on incorruption. <coughs> the quickening has taken place in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. <coughs> the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Corruption must put on incorruption. Mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Folks, I'm not waiting for death to be swallowed up. It's being swallowed. It was swallowed 2,000 years ago when Christ came up from the, from the tomb. You understand, death was swallowed in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Folks, when we put all of our hope in Christ Jesus, we have no confidence in the flesh. We have turned to a spiritual creature and our hope is in the word of God quickening me inside. And when I breathe in this word of God, oh, the divine resuscitation inside of me, the CPR of heaven, the, the divine blowing into this body, the quickening life, the resurrection life of God. It makes me live again, walk again, talk again. It gives me energy. I can work again. I can move again. It gets me up from the dead. It gets me up from where I'm standing. It gets me up from, up from hopelessness, despair, anguish, whatever the case may be, the word of God trumps. <clears throat> now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of the unseen. There's a divine substance that enters us through the word of God. See, the second Adam is given us divine substance and faith attaches to this fourth dimension and pulls it inside of us. And we're quickened, made alive. And I don't need your football game. And I don't need your whiskey. I don't need your beer. I don't need your marijuana. I don't need your funny. I don't need your party. I don't need your stuff. I got something inside. I'm living. I'm having a little party right inside of here. Sometimes I even talk in another tongue. Quicken. The first Adam was a living soul. I want to encourage you in this 2023 year. I know there's many people out there listening to stuff and they believe in Jesus. But I'm convinced that that many people are there's just that many more that are literally living in the soulish arena. I read your post. I watch what you say on Facebook. You literally all you do is carnal stuff. Think about it. Dress like you're carnal. You act like you're carnal. You cuss like you're carnal. Huh? You say, well, you judge. You're telling me. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you. The fruit is, the tree is known by its fruit. Right? I mean, if you, if you're bearing figs, you're a fig tree. Right? If your water is bitter, then you're a bitter soul. In 2023, if you really want to be Christian, begin to let God breathe into your nostrils the quickening word. Most people who go to church today do not believe that the scripture is the inspired word of God. You don't believe that every word is God breathed in here. Most of it's done by ignorance, second by demonization, because they've demonized the word of God in our generation. Just scriptural ignorance is keeping people bound in the soul. And so we look for a preacher who strokes the souls better than others. And he'll tell you that no matter what you're doing, that God forgives you and you're going to have a, this is your best life. Live your best life. That's what Jesus came to do, give you your best life. 
I believe he did do that. He came to give you your best life, but it ain't now. It ain't here. It might be now inside. But if all you're doing is cashing in on worldly pleasure, you're first Adam. The second Adam has no affinity with such. I can, I, I just encourage you. Get to your scripture. Get to the word of God. Put away all your religion, all your preconceived notion and let God breathe into you the quickening spirit of truth and spirit. Let them come together in you and become a truly heavenly man. God bless. Have a great week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.